there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people. Today, my guest is Matthew Rettenmond. He is an author. He's written the books uh, Boy Culture and Blind Items, A Love Story. But the reason that I am uh, so excited to talk to him is a project that he started way back in 95. It's called the Encyclopedia Madonica. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's all things Madonna. And he recently put out a new update of that book, and it is 676 pages. So it's everything you always wanted to know about Madonna and were afraid to ask or weren't afraid to ask. Um, if you're not a Madonna fan, you might not enjoy this conversation. But if you are, settle in because um, we have a lot of thoughts. And I have a lot of observations that I like to bounce off him. Madonna's been very influential in my own journey. Um, I've been a fan. I also like get why... You know, she can be frustrating sometimes. So we talk about all of it. But before we get to the interview, I want to let you know that there are two ways you can listen to this podcast. You can listen, as you always do, on your favorite podcast app. Or I'd love it if you considered becoming a subscriber to DNR Studios. Uh, for twelve ninety five a month, you get my show t- uh, two days early. And then you also get all these other great shows that are part of the network, like The Focus Group, Tom Goss's show, Perfect Date, The Derek and Romaine Show. So learn about that at dnrstudios.com. And if you ever want to reach out to me, you can email me at Dennis at DennisHensley.com or you can leave a voicemail, uh, 1-888-647-9653, and I might play it on the show. All right, that's all the plugs. Here now is the interview with Matthew Redmond. Joining me now from Manhattan, it's Matthew Redmond. He is the man behind the Encyclopedia Madonica. It's this big, giant book all about Madonna, um, one of my obsessions, and it's now uh, in a new update. A new update has just come out. So welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thank you for having me. So tell us what the Encyclopedia Madonica actually is, because I've heard of it. It's been on my radar for a while. Uh, I have never owned it, but I will soon. Encyclopedia Madonica is basically, it's everything that you'd ever want to ask about Madonna, but we're afraid to know. <laughs> it's an, and, it's, and it's in and it's it's arranged as as from a to z so instead of you know writing a biography that sort of puts my spin on the the narrative of her life right i have i, I actually have everything there is about her career everything about her life and then i love to focus on minutia that really shouldn't matter but that is out there in the universe because part of it is the absurdity of knowing so much about celebrity especially about madonna so I think it's very funny as well as also being sort of a, a sort of a fanboy's dream of all of her, you know, all the things that she's done, you know, in her career. I love it's it. It's really fun. And it's like basically a phone book. It's it's like remember those? Yeah. It's a 674 page book. 674 pages. Wow. Is it hardback or paperback or are there options? It's both. The the main edition is a paperback. It's it's always been a paperback. Um but this time I decided to also offer uh, kind of a more luxe hardcover version because as we get older, Madonna's fans are older. We like hardcover. We don't like general admission. We no. like vinyl. You know? Right. <laughs> so I'm catering to the audience. We're going to pay for those extra tickets. Yeah, we're going to pay. That's right. Yeah. We'll pay. I love it. Sitting, who wants to sit in the VIP circle? You're not even next to stage. Now I'm like, I get it. Yes. Yes. I totally Way get it. people. I love it. Have you seen all the tours? The only tour I didn't see in person was the Virgin tour. That was early on, I, early days. The first one. I was, I was already getting into her, but I was such a nerd, and, and I, I was kind of embarrassed to 
kind of be out. Because actually, if you said, I love Madonna, it would have felt gay even then. And I just sort of felt like it was something that was too cool for me to, like, want to go to the Madonna concert. Like, it would look laughable for this this painful nerd to go. And I regretted it. And then, of course, I've regretted it ever since. I've seen all of her tours, so many of her one-offs, um, so many of these great, you know, little appearances she's made, but I never saw the Virgin tour. I was going to see the Virgin tour because I was in. I, I'm a fan, and I have a lot of touchstones around Madonna, similar to you, and very influential in my journey, actually. Um, but I was in a theater production of Cabaret, and I, I, I had a show. I had a show. I couldn't go to Madonna. And I remember uh, one of my friends saying she would sing Crazy for You to me as a comfort. I don't think she ever <laughs> followed through, but I do remember. But I've missed certain tours for sure. Um, was she in her fishnets when your friend was singing that or no? No, she never followed through. But, but she may have been oh. because we were doing the show Cabaret. So um, fishnets were oh, part of the, part of the, part of the gig. Um, what was your first exposure to her? The first time I really remember anything about her was I was I had gone to a Dungeons and Dragons meeting right as a teenager as you do and I was being I was being driven home and I heard on the radio I was obsessed with Top Forty sure and so and I collected vinyl singles and I was really into what was in that Top Forty and I remember that they were playing um, Shannon's Let the Music Play that was yep. right up my alley for that time and then a new song that they played was Holiday and I was like. Oh, who is this? You know, I, this seems like another disco diva. I had to get into this. I really loved this song. And then when I discovered it was Madonna and that what she looked like and who she was, it just wasn't who I thought she was going to be. Yeah. So I found that intriguing. Uh, and I, I just started really loving her music and I liked her sort of attitude. I was drawn to her. I'd been a Cindy Lauper man before. So that was kind of my training wheels. Sure. And then I think when I really got into her was like a virgin because that just, spoke to me my desire to you know because like i said i was kind of so i wasn't conservative but i was i was shy right and yeah in my head i love the idea of confrontation and like you know all these people don't know what i'm really like and who i can be and then i, I love the idea of the fact that she was using this borderline dirty word in a song and so i bought that single at myers thrifty acres in michigan which i have right here for my jukebox i brought my oh singles my here exactly, for, a, right? for a later little part of this episode yeah amazing so yeah so i bought that and i bought the album then i went back and bought her first album right on and and really felt that was even better so so i guess you really had to stay i was i began to experiment with madonna in 1983 and then fully hooked and later right. you were dabbling and then you were hooked and then I we I thought she was black the first time I heard her. Why? Sonically. I don't know. We but a lot of people just, did. What was it about? And that's what I was that's, alluding to as well. well I think I, it's because she 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 was singing music that was at the time would have been called disco. It sounded like a disco right. you know, holdover. So she fit neatly into that. And you know, people have discussed this more recently it's become more of an issue because people talk about cultural appropriation sure. and all these kinds of and they they've talked about the fact that she was passed off as black initially intentionally and that's one thing i asked in the book i did an interview with um liz rosenberg her longtime publicist oh, which was liz. honestly like interviewing madonna I, right did you die it was like butter and i asked her everything everyone asked her and i did ask about that i said do you remember was that ever sort of like a cynical thing at warner brothers where they were trying to slip her by as black to get her in the door and she said she thought her her opinion was it was a happy accident. Like once it happened and they realized people were thinking that they thought that was kind of like a plus 
right. because it was kind of unexpected. And then that way there was sort of an unintentional reveal. So it, it really didn't hurt. Right. But I don't think anyone went into it thinking, let's market her as black. I mean, you know, that, that wasn't the plan. I don't think it would occur to you because her vocals, she's not riffing all over the place or anything like that. Right. Like, it's just something that we thought because of the sound. But I remember the borderline video. That's when I was like, I'm in. When she kicks that pole in the borderline video and the guys in the, in there's cuties, I was in and I love, that's to this day one of my favorite songs. Um, the borderline video, it's funny you say that because, um, I actually just went to a talk by Mary Lambert who directed that video. That yes. was her first Madonna video. And it's, it's really a brilliant video and it's, it's definitely, you can see why Madonna wanted to work with her again after that. And, also kind of dovetailing with this is the cover of my book is a never before seen photo that was taken. You remember how borderline has like that photographer, yeah. the older photographer. Yeah. For, so those photographs, I've always lusted after these pictures. Like it's very meta release. Yeah. They're never meta. released. Yes. So I got the, I got the photographer, Andy Caulfield. Finally, after seven years of begging, he licensed me this never before seen photo from a completely different um, look during those three looks that he shot. So borderline is very much, it's, it's a very much all about this book. That's right amazing to me. So what new elements are in this new update that you're, you've just put out? Well, along with the cover, the way I approached it and the way I've always approached the updates is people always ask me, what did you remove to put in the new stuff? And I'm like, I don't do that. Like I left it all. No, in. We're going to go Arial font na- narrow if we have to, but we're I not cutting to anything. Through, totally. I, I, you'll <laughs> just read it with a loop. <laughs> I, I went back. I went back to every single. I did an entry by entry update so that somebody dies, that's in there. If you know she she sang one of her songs again live somewhere, that's added to that list. So I, every single entry was updated. And then over the last six, it's been six years since the last update. I just was always keeping a running list of things to remember. Put this in. She did this. A shocking number of live appearances and performances in only six years. Um, Anytime she mentioned something that was already in the book before, that has to go in. And then I, I was lucky enough to be at a lot of these events, so I took my own photographs. So, like, I was, and I was able to update this through September 1st of this. this wow, 1st. that's amazing. So the book is brand new. So it's got, like, her, you saw her at, like, that, um, the roller skating thing that she did. Yes. With, uh, Rogers, that's in here. All my photos are in here. Um, she just performed at Terminal 5. That's in here with photos. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that I updated. And then as far as like older stuff, like I said, Liz Rosenberg interview, first time she's talked to the press about Madonna this extensively in 30 years. Um, and I was able to talk to Susan Seidelman, who directed... Directed Desperately Seeking Susan, a classic. Ever, yes. movie ever. So I did go back and add older interviews to quite a few. So basically you get almost 100 pages more. Amazing. So amazing. How do you do the photos? How hard is the photos part of the book to pull together? Well, it's, it's hard because, you know, it's actually not a photographic, it's not supposed to be like a photographic coffee table book, like sure. on high quality paper that you never touch, yeah. which fans are like that anyway. We all, we often like to never touch things. Um, but you, but you want it to be visual. So I have, instead of a lot of different, um, you know, like tons and tons of full page glamorous photos that we've all seen, I tried to go for things that people haven't seen as much, like a strange magazine cover, which is a lot more rights you know, friendly, um, or, you know, a, a collectible album cover that you've never seen, a promotional image, like things that are just not out there. And that's why I'm always looking for things that have never been published. So kind of what I'm hanging my hat on, one of my favorite things this time is when I interviewed Susan Seidelman, this is crazy. I was, I was blown away by this. 
I was asking her about, you know, everything about the movie. And she just kind of casually mentioned, oh, yeah, you know, when Bruce Willis was auditioning for the movie to play Jimmy, he was second place choice. Um, I have like footage of Madonna and Bruce Willis making out somewhere. And it's probably melted by now. It's in a VHS. And I said, I said, when this interview is over, you're going to put down your phone and you're going to go find this VHS. You're going to take it to a reputable conservator. You're going to have this digitized today because this is historical. This is an important thing. Like how can this be sitting around melting? But she didn't find that one, but she did find a lot of others of Madonna who came in and, and read with people after she was cast. She was reading with all these possible Jimmies and Gary Glasses. One of them was Bruce Davison. You know, like it was all these actors that you recognize. Right. So I have great skills from those. And oh, how fans, cool. Oh, fans are going to cream over that. What's something that Susan told you that surprised you? Um, I guess in a way, because we're so conditioned to negative takes on Madonna. Like there's, it's just daily deluge of like hatred. She's very positive about her. And you, I mentioned to her, I was like, well, did you ever regret hiring her? Because I just wondered if, if she was ever like a pain on the set. Everyone else I talked to from that movie said no. She was very devoted. And Susan was just shocked that that would even be a question. She said, no, of course not. You know, and she was instrumental to the movie, and she was the first person I thought of, and I was lucky to get her. She was delightful to work with. We got lucky that she blew up right yeah. in the filming. Um, and, and, you know, I remember also talking to Reed Roosevelt, who was the publicist on the movie, and he was describing how he would go and pick her up. It was also casual then, right? He would go and pick her up. After she went for like a 6 a.m. swim, she was really big into swimming. That was her kind of physical workout at the time. And he just said that she was very um, hard to impress. She was very devoted to getting it right. She wanted to do the work. But she also was just kind of tolerating him as someone she would never normally talk to. Yeah. She was just kind of, you know, it's like, you know, I'm out of, out of your league. You know, don't talk to me. So right. they had this funny, they had this funny sort of banter. And the craziest thing he told me was like, when he, he set up the photo shoot with Herb Ritz, the photo shoot where she met him yeah. and get those classic images. And then when it was time to approve the photos, he said, you know, Rosanna had some photos that she didn't like, but he showed Madonna and she was pretty good with everything. She was pretty easy, but she made him come over to her apartment. And then she threw out into the street all of the approved slides, you know, original, you know, chromes like here. So he didn't even come up into the apartment to get it. And he had to run around the street and get these classic. Oh my God. So she, she, so instead of having him come up and hand them to her, she decided to throw them down to him. Yeah. Cause she was busy and yeah. you know, he was there just, it was like, a, right. it was like a relay. And sure. apparently she did that often when she lived in Soho. She would like, if someone was coming to visit, she'd walk over to the window and drop a key down. Yeah. And then they would, that's how they would get into the apartment because the, the buzzer didn't work. Yeah. So she, I love that image of like here, because we, I think we've all been there like in the past where you would, especially in New York, you would actually drop keys out the window. Now, I just, I, I wouldn't even imagine that happening. Yeah. So she always had that edge. She always had like a, that little edge and you had to yeah. work past. As a longtime fan, I have come to the place, and I imagine maybe you have too, where the parts of her that bug me, I know that they go with the parts that I love. So if I want her to be making music and doing her thing and out there, then yes, she's going to be a little weird on Instagram. I have to accept it all. I have to take it all. Um, it's all, it's all part of the deal. Um, does that idea resonate with you at all? Is that kind of part of, of how you think about her? Because she does have those little thorny parts of her. She's going to be a little bit on Kimmel or who, or, or Fallon or whatever. 
She's going to be a little bit of a brat sometimes or whatever that is, but that that's part of the deal. And we just, we accept it. We're all in. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, no, yeah, of course. She's, you know, like what I tell people is, you know, she's never, she was never going to be exactly what everyone wanted her to be because she's been so many things along the way. Right. Like it was never, it was never a straight line with her. She's zigzags to so many different personalities. And I think she got to a place where a lot of people were comfortable with her because she was sort of this proper wife and mom and English lady right. and she could still do, you know, confessions on a dance floor and knock us out. So people like that. And I think, I really don't think she was comfortable making people comfortable and beginning what was going to be a sort of a, a slide. Into right. I'm going to become, yeah, I'm going to do you know, my share ABBA album or whatever that is. That is, I was going to bring that up at some point. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm going to stop pushing the buttons. I'm a soccer mom. Now I'm going to start pushing the buttons. And she's like, no, I still like she to push the buttons. She consciously does that. So yes, absolutely. We have to take the good and the bad. Doesn't mean we have to swallow all the bad and, and say, oh, it's good. But right. I do wish people would be less harsh. I wish they would just sort of not overly judge her because I do feel that every time she's, and she reads all this stuff now, like she didn't used to get to be able to not, she didn't used to know every individual fan thought until yeah. like social media came along. I feel that it really pushes her further and further over the borderline into doing things that she thinks people don't like because in her mind, she's saying, Oh, you don't like this. And I'm going to do 10 here's, times worse. I'm gonna, like here's that? more. Exactly. Yeah. No. So, so that's the grills. It, I mean, she's been wearing these grills for years. I've never met anyone who likes them. She knows it. She even talked about it with Fallon and she made it pretty clear that, you know, the more you tell her, I don't want you to wear grills. Right the more she's going to consider having her teeth removed and grills installed. Right. So we need to tell her she liked, we love the grills and then she will, oh, the grills have become safe. But, but you know what I always say to people also is if you've ever liked Madonna, she's still that same person. She gave us all this great stuff. It's like, you know, Betty Davis wasn't, you know, now Voyager forever either. Like she wasn't all about Eve for the rest of her career. Joan Crawford, you know, all these people change and, the greatest thing about it is I think Madonna is at a much higher level of interesting creative output than most people at this stage of, of their careers. And she's alive, man. She's That's alive. That's the thing. We like, have lost so many 80s stars. They're all dying. So we need to be embracing her while she's alive. I'm working on a project about Whitney Houston right now for my, uh, my, Crazy, right? my podcast writing job. And I was like, Madonna is here. And she's still doing new work, vital work. She's not Rod Stewart singing like you know, my funny Valentine or whatever, which is God bless him. But you know what I mean? Like she's still bringing it in a way. And sometimes we don't want her to bring it. We right. have all of those feelings. Keep but I, I am trying to just be grateful for, for all of it, you know? And yet and I, I do find I some of it like, funny. I think she's segueing into like this. I think she's going through a real transitional period yeah. where she's trying to accept, okay, I need to do some legacy. I need to do some, a new twist on legacy and I need to do new. So I think she's trying to figure out the best way to do this where she doesn't feel like, you know, she's just, she's an oldies act. She doesn't want to be an oldies act. Yeah. Yeah, She She wants to be relevant. She would rather die. And she really would rather die. I think than sign up for doing like numerous tours that are nothing but straight, straight renditions of her greatest hits. Yeah. If If she goes out and does another hits tour, it's probably going to be like, like a virgin, you know, with, you know, with a trap beat, it's going to yeah. be like 
it's going to be remixes, it's going to be reinventions, but probably she'll have to straddle the line because at this point she's challenged us on a number of tours. And I think, you know, if she's going to tour again, which she's expressed that she wants to, that she's a creature of the stage, she's going to have to, you know, come to the reality that I don't think she can tour again with a brand new album and, and mostly do that album. She's got to really incorporate a lot more hits. Um, and hopefully be on time. That's my only advice. Otherwise, I'm hopefully what? Hope be on time. Oh, be on time. Yeah, that's a thing. Are, as her people get older and older, they're yeah. just not cool anymore. Like she used to come out at 2 a.m. in clubs and was welcomed because everyone was still awake. Yeah. Now her fans are like, oh, I got to get home. I got to yeah. babysitter. So yeah. that's my only two pieces of advice is like a, a little more, a few more hits a, f- a couple hours earlier would go a long way to pleasing people. Uh, but I loved Madame X. I thought it was really unique to see her and, you know, so up close and personal. And my only complaint about it really, other than the fact that it probably blew out her hip and ended her physicality for a long time was that um, I hated that we had to check our phones because I'm addicted now to taking pictures at concerts. Oh, that's your thing. <laughs> I only now. want to photograph. I only want to take pictures. I haven't seen that concert, but I know it's on one of the streamers. I need to watch it. Um, I did get the finally enough love three CD set and I just got it recently and I've been listening. What are the highlights in your opinion? Where do I need to focus my love? I love, I love the take on Ray of Light. That's one of my favorite mixes. And yep. I think she has about a video of that out too. Um, for me, it's the mid-era stuff that jumps out. Um, the earlier stuff, there's a couple of things that are really just sort of the, if you look at it, it has like sort of like the original single mix of something. Yeah, like they don't I sound that like different. Full, yeah, they're not I a reinvention. Like the full, yeah. you know, remix of it. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the only major criticism I have is No Causing a Commotion. Yeah, that's a good song. What the what the F? I don't know it's if she hates it. it. was And it was a legit number one dance hit, so it's kind of like a choice. But, hey, you know, she got everything else on there. Yeah, no, there's a lot there so go much. For it. Here's something. I'm going to just share takes on Madonna and see if you share them. I like that her songs sound different from each other. Like, I love Janet right. Jackson, but that's a Janet Jackson song. Madonna's going to sound like Cherish on one song and... Uh, you know, express yourself on another song. Even within an album, the songs sound singular. They sound like their own little thing. And I've always appreciated, there's consistency in her artistry, but the songs themselves are unique. La Isla Bonita sounds like, you know, its own thing. And I think that's really cool and underappreciated about her catalog. Thoughts? I totally agree. Obviously, I totally agree with anything positive about Madonna. No, I agree because <laughs> you're right. It's true. Like her, people will sometimes say, "Oh, I didn't like that song because it doesn't sound like Madonna." But it's very hard to put your finger on what sounds like Madonna because you know you have hung up next to like nothing fails next to you know everybody. Like there's just so many different sounds, and yet there is a unifying sort of a. It's not even a message. It's just, it's almost a vibe. It's, it's almost an outlook. You can just sense the way she sings things. And, and she does that visually too. Like one woman writhing around without very many clothes gives you a very specific feeling that they're kind of kowtowing to what men want to see. When Madonna does it, it never really feels like that. It, it never has. Like not from, not from the beginning, nope. not from burning nope. up in the road. Right. That's interesting. Absolutely. There's, there's, a, there's something very obvious that she's like i like this too yes it is okay to have sex for pleasure that was one of her messages and i feel like that is something this culture 
needs so much. And that um, should be her next album title. Yes, thank you. I will also say this, see if you share this take. I thought Erotica was ahead of its time sonically. I liked listening to it more a few years later when it, than when it first came out. I thought it was kind of sonically ahead of its time. Um, yeah, I, I like Erotica. It's not one of my favorites, but I'm, I'm in the minority. I think when that came out, she, it wasn't because of Erotica, but it was because of the sex book. Yes. I feel like her fan base was halved overnight. Like it just went from wherever it was to like half. Um, because people were like, ooh, she's too sexual. She's too It's dyke-y. too, mu- it's too like, much. I literally remember, I remember a guy saying that at like a record show. He was like, I liked it when she wasn't so dykey. And I was like, okay, great. So what Um Dykey. Really? Oh, because yes, of some of the... 1992. When she was doing so some of the same sex that. stuff in the sex book. I never bought and the sex book. even Justify My Love. Oh, yeah. I never bought the you sex never, book. You never purchased it or you never bought it? I, I know, exactly. <laughs> and I did yours fall apart? How many no, copies did no, you have? Mine was, mine, mine, uh, mine came like slightly detached, but it never completely fell apart. Right. I rushed out and bought more than one, but I did get rid of. I had, I was going to keep one sealed. Yeah. And over the years, I, I have sold it, uh, so I have the open one. Um, but erotica, I remember, you know, being in a, in a record store after the album had sort of come out, been a big success on the charts, but not as big as she was used to. And I remember like months later, I was in a record store, remember those, and these two guys, them. gay guys were talking and they were like, you know, this is actually a good album. Like, this is actually better than people said it was. It's good. And I, was, I just want to say, yeah, that's like, of course it is. She's never had a bad album, guys. And like, it's a great album. And, and, I, and I do think it's, it's really, for the most part, stood the test of time. There's only a couple of songs that I kind of, there's one song ugh, that's really bad. Which you one? know what it is? The worst song in erotica. I'm trying to think. There's the one that did, you did felt. You do it. Oh, did you do it? Okay. How does that go? That was to me silly. You know, yeah. It was like that. It was a remix of Waiting, but it was she actually had rap on it. Yeah. So it's that. It's interesting. It's kind of like a lot of her fans nowadays are so angry whenever. I mean, really angry, like culturally angry, if they have. If they hear her music and she has working with a rapper, they're like, I don't want her to work with it, so many rappers. But she's always been interested in, in rap and hung out with rappers and hip hop. So, but I didn't like that song because it was too jokey for me. I, I liked everything else on the album. Um, but I think that's probably in the top three albums that she's ever made among most fans' opinions. Yeah. And I think ahead of most its time. fans love that album. I also, and it's 30 years. I know. 30 years. Can you believe it? You know, I, yeah, no. I also remember when Evita came out being so impressed that she went and learned how to sing differently for that album. Like she, or for that movie, like she kind of surrendered to, to the experts, right. And changed the way she sang. And, uh, I think it takes balls for somebody that's that established to go, okay, this isn't really my, my natural wheelhouse. I'm going to, I'm going to change. I'm going to work on this in a different way. And I was impressed by that. Yeah. I mean, she went and took singing lessons. And, and you can hear it. Female singer in the world. She went and takes singing lessons and it really changed how she sang a little in some ways forever. I mean, she acquired that yeah. hard R, you know, and, and then, and then by the time she was doing Ray of Light, um, the next big kind of personal statement after that, she was fooling around with that, those operatic trills with yes. on that single Ray of Light. So, so I think she was really kind of learning like, wow. For someone who started out as a singer just as a means to an end. Right. Someone who just 
saying because she had to. Right. Um, I think she went from just relying on uh, having a naturally good, pleasing pop voice and actually training her instrument. Um, how warm did you feel inside when you saw Madonna was at Britney's wedding? That was great. Didn't and, it and feel good? Surprised. It was nice. And it, it surprised me because they haven't seen each other in so long. And it was so interesting that Britney chose to have this sort of A-list wedding. Yeah. The A-list wedding. She had such great stars at her wedding. I know. <laughs> and it was nice. I mean, Madonna has always liked Britney so unabashedly and has always felt so protective toward her, even though she's often accused of being, you know, ingracious to younger singers and, and women in particular. She really hasn't been. It's been very few and far between. And she embraced Britney right from the beginning when she was wearing Britney shirts and expressing concern about her health, even before we all knew that she was in the conservatorship. There's footage of Madonna meeting her where she's like, are you okay? You know, she's always worried about her and she never took pot shots at Britney. And I like that. I like that she has that maternal feeling toward her. Did you watch the entire Instagrams of her writing sessions with Diablo Cody on the Madonna biopic? Remember she would do those long Instagram lives and they were sitting there and I, yes, I just thought I felt for Di- Diablo Cody. Cause I thought she thought, Oh, this is my dream. I get to work with Madonna. She was one of my idols. And then five minutes in, she's like, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is a nightmare. Like, this isn't going to happen. She later said, I don't know what her story is. That's this. what I'm reading into it. Like, I think I, I just think it I, was not, she's making Madonna's making fun of her shoes and like, Ugh, I just thought Diablo was like, mm, wow, maybe this is not the best gig for well, me. I thought it was interesting because I had all the same impressions. I mean, it looked so uncomfortable. Right. It just looked like, I mean, to be fair, I think you have to have the right kind of attitude to really understand Madonna's sense of humor and be comfortable with it. Right. She usually works really well against kind of um, non-super cool guys. So she's she's great against like Kurt Loder. She's great against Fallon. Like she has people to play off of. But a lot of times when it's a woman, and she's if she's saying oh those shoes or this whatever, the person is sort of genuinely taken aback and don't know how to react. And also, Diablo Cody has probably never written a script on camera before. Right. That's a, she's like we gotta like, work. Was, we gotta do work, and you're doing shtick on Instagram. But it was very Warholian too. It's like wow, this is something you want to. You're glad it exists, but you're glad you're not in the room. Yeah. Uh, But then like a year later, Diablo raved about it and said it was like a dream of hers. She's so glad she did it. And she didn't really say anything negative or hint anything negative. It was just her face. Yeah. It was just her face in those recordings. That was was just like saying, oh, no, this is not what I thought. (laughs) I dressed up for this. Yeah. But it's not appropriate. Madonna has this thing that I've known some people in my life that I have, I, I call them, they're like, they're a diminisher. Like they yes. have to kind of, you either break even with them or you're, you're, you're less when you leave the encounter. Like, like she has to pick up the shoes and maybe it's from being a, in a big family and always having to kind of one up your siblings or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's this thing where she kind of has to diminish you a little bit. And um, I don't know. I just wondering if you've ever observed that. Yeah. I think she, she wants to sort of test people she's with to see how impressed they are with her how they're going to defer to her do they have a sense of humor um i think there's a lot of things she's she reality tests with these people and some of them pass and some of them don't the next writer she worked with 
seem to be like consciously trying to go, go with it a little bit more. And they did make a lot more progress. And I guess the script was turned in, but I don't think it's going anywhere. I, I'm worried about it. Do you think the movie's going to ever happen? <clears throat> ever is a really long yeah. sounding word. Um, I don't think it's imminent. Right. Because I, and I was suspicious because when Julia Garner was announced as having been offered the part, everyone was assuming that meant it was happening because why would anybody say no? Right. But she never publicly accepted it and she's accepted a couple of other movies to do in between. So, and then the day that was happening, Madonna, Madonna was going on social media saying, Hey, maybe this should be a limited series. And what about if I tour instead? So I think she was sending us signals. And then she later said something like, if I'm ever able to tell my story, I hope, blah, blah, blah. So she's given us hints that things aren't exactly, you know, moving quickly. Um, I think she just found out it was really hard to stuff her life story into two hours. Not so, it's not so hard to stuff your life story into two hours if you're Alan John because you're choosing a very specific thing to focus on. This movie was very addiction-based. Right. Madonna doesn't have that. No. She never had an addiction. She didn't have any really big struggles. And so I feel like she's um, wanting to tell the whole thing. Because the great thing about her life story is every era. You know, every, like the struggles she's had, which the ups and downs, the, you know, the artistic inspiration behind things, getting attacked by the press. You know, there's so many things to tell that she can't figure out what to cut out. And she's admitted that, that she doesn't really know what to get rid of. Right. So I think that I think that's going to be hard. I also don't know if she would be the best voice for what she means. You know, like if she would be, you know, would there be scenes where she's doesn't behave well or, you know, like, like it just I don't know how self-effacing anyone would be in that situation, but especially her. It's kind of a recipe for disaster, but that's what makes it very compelling and yes. kind of interesting. Um, you want you're kind of you can't you can't like not watch it when it comes out no matter what it's about it's going to be kind of amazing in some way yes so I, I think i think it's the kind of thing where you worry for it but you're also anticipating because it could go either way it's right. probably not going to be if she does this movie exactly how she wants it's not going to be some boring middle of the road failure it's either going to be outrageously spectacularly bad or it's going to be such a wonderful surprise and it's going to be like wow she really pulled this off she really showed them. And, and I know either way, we're going to learn things that we did not know. Yeah. I love I it. I know there's so much, as much as I feel like, you know, in the book, I've got, like I said, like over 600 pages of minutia. Every day we hear something new from back in the day that was a little factoid that we never heard. And it's like, now, now people are coming forward and saying this. Like, like what? People are showing this photo. I mean, no, I mean, I'm not saying anything specific, but I'm just saying like, if you look on Instagram, someone will suddenly post like, well, here's a picture of me on the set of Desperately Seeking Susan. And you're like, what is that? Like, what was that day? Like, what was this, this cut scene? Like, what is that? And, or they talk about what it was like to work with her or, um, or Madonna suddenly saying, Oh, you know, I was called Madame X. Yeah. That never came up before. Yeah. I've never heard that before. No, I don't remember so it. Yeah. I, I just feel like there are all these little, little things that keep coming up and I'm sure in the movie we'll find out like, people she fucked, people she, you know, what her controversies were really about, like if they were manufactured, um, and what she was thinking through all of this, because we always have to just sort of assume that. If she were to come out tomorrow and announce that she was going to work with one of her past collaborators, somebody like Jelly Bean or anybody, who would most excite you? Don't put that one in my head. I know. Jelly Bean, Jelly Bean would be amazing. It's funny, 
I don't know if you know this, but uh, the second to last time she was on Fallon, he showed her a picture that had her and I think it was Dinah Ross. I was like really famous people and Jelly Bean off to the side. Right. And she, and she said, shitty ex-boyfriend. Really? And I was like, wow, I didn't know there was bad blood there. Tell us more. But of course, Fallon didn't probe that. Um, <clears throat> it wouldn't be Jelly Bean, although I would love it. Yeah, but like somebody like who, if Patrick Leonard or, or, or whoever Everyone it is. That's him, but I don't want to, I don't need more Patrick Leonard. Right. Um, I think um, if it had someone from the past, who I think they could really come back together and do something amazing. I guess it would have to be Stuart Price. Right. He was the era of Confessions. Yes. Yes. That was, I would, I think I, think I would agree. That album is more, amazing. There's more fertile ground there. Yeah. Actually, William Orbit would be really interesting. He's just recently expressed that he, when he was drinking, he was saying unfortunate things and he's not sure if they're still on good terms, but I think uh, obviously William, or- William Orbert would be great. Steve Bray would be like a, a blast in the past. She just she just hung out with Nile Rogers. Yes, that would be amazing. Yes, um, she barely worked. She didn't really work directly with the Pet Shop Boys, but can you imagine the entire Pet Shop Boys album? That would be amazing. You know, Madonna does an album produced by the Pet Shop Boys every single song. That'd be amazing. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's a that dream. Gives us like that. That gives us that share Abba thing without feeling like a share Abba thing. You know right. I mean? And I love the share Abba thing. It's just not something That's that Madonna right. does. It's not on That's brand right. for Madonna um, at all. And it's okay. When you are organizing all of this stuff, how do you do it? Is it a big file on your computer? Like, what does it look like to be the guy that writes the uh, Encyclopedia Mad- Madonica? Well, I, I have to say that when I first updated the book, in, it was after 20 years. When I originally wrote the book, it was all on three by five cards. I had an wow. archive. I still have it. I have every monotonous magazine you can think of, newspaper clipping. And so when I first wrote it, I was putting everything on three by five cards and organizing them by, you know, different categories. And then when, I, then when 20 years had passed, like the bulk of her career, I had to go back and use the internet. And first I went through the magazines again, like the newer ones. Then I used the internet and, you know, scoured things. I reached out to people who knew her. and joked. So it became a little easier, but it, that was kind of a really hard one. The next updates, the way I do it now is, and I've already done started doing this with the one that's only, you know, three weeks old. I just have a, file, a word file, and every time she does something that I think, ah, this is noteworthy, or an interview that's, that's, that's posted at Billboard, um, a video, music video release, making out with Tokisha, like, is she going to come out as bisexual? Like, what's happening? I write all these things, and I just put it in, in no order at all, just... Just line by line by line. And then six years from now, I'll probably look at it all and decide, is, the, is it time to add all this stuff in? And the next version will be a 1,000 pages. Who knows? I love it. It's a hardworking Word doc that you just keep track of stuff. Yeah, it's, I'm very old school with this stuff. Like, I don't... To me, if it's a, it's a Word doc, Word docs are life. Yeah. That's what I just do. I love That's it. how I do it. Has doing this work bonded you with other Madonna fans? Yes, I mean... Do you hear from them? Well, you, you can't help but bond with them um, because anytime Madonna does something that is near me, of course, I'm going to try to go over to it and you see all the same faces. So I was noticing the other, the other day I had like a picture of my first book signing in New York for Encyclopedia Madonica in 1995 and there was this skinny kid standing in front of me and I realized it's this guy that I still see I didn't realize he was, I didn't, I never made this connection, but he's someone I've seen a hundred times since then at every Madonna event. It's so funny that we all, the ones who've, the, the, the lifers, uh, we all know each other. And, and because I've written the book, 
a lot of people, a lot of Madonna fans really liked, you know, the books because they're respectful of her, but they're humorous and they take into account that she's imperfect. So they like that mix. You have to have the base of respect. Right. But, but then you want to flower out with a couple of jokes here and there and never be ungallant yeah. or vicious. Yeah. So you, they like me. They like my books. They're always coming up to me and that's always really a nice feeling. So I'm definitely bonded. But of course, there's also little frenemies. And, you know, even when you're in your 50s, you're still jockeying for a position. Like, oh, are you going to be at the front of the stage? Did you win that thing on eBay? It's, it's kind of ridiculous. And I know that. And that's part of my unapologetic embracing of what gives me joy. I love it. You, you just have to realize that, yes, I'm old and I'm at a fucking Madonna concert and I want to be in the front row. Yes. You know, like, yes, I want, I want the free poster. If I know this publicist over here who's working, the, you know, the album at now, I'm going to say, can I have the CD sampler? Like, I'm going to ask for stuff. So I used to do that when I was a kid. You know, I'd go in, in college, I would go to like these record stores in Chicago, like Rose Records, and, and they would have all these import CDs and, and I'd buy everything. And then I'd just go in and be like, can I pretty please have this stand up? Right. Counter from. You would ask for the stand ups. That's a, I that's, want the promotional stuff because yes. that's the stuff you can't get. Right. That's all I love. And they'd be like, sure. You know, sound cute. So they give it to me. And then years go by, and then it's not cute anymore. No, it's still <laughs> that's cute. When start, that's when you have to start buying it. Like, right. It's not cute. Yeah, you can't your work eyes. your charms. Yeah. No. There, there's a podcast I listen to called The Happiness Lab, and, and okay. the last episode they did was about fandom and how it can give you a boost of happiness and why, you know, in terms of the science and, like... It, oh, I need it bonds, to find that. Yeah, it's interesting. And there's a woman that's interviewed who was sort of a normal working professional and she just became obsessed with Benedict Cumberbatch, obsessed to a point where she had shame around it and was kind of embarrassed. And then she sort of flipped it. I'm and, ashamed. And, I'm ashamed hearing about this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I never got that. I never got him. He's fine. But anyway, but it's the boost that you get from being really, really into something and it can make your life happier. Uh, it builds community in ways and it just gets you excited about things and that, that it's, a, it, it can be a healthy thing to be super Fan. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think it's like pain relief. It can be because it can be very healthy, but you can also cross sometimes into negative things because you have to have joy in your life and you shouldn't be embarrassed to be excited about something that other people think is silly because you know, football is silly too. Right. You know, well, they, they make that comparison. The, the fandom oh, yeah. of football is very accepted. The, the overzealousness. And whenever I see straight people, rhapsodizing about sports i find it very romantic in a way like their heart you can see their hearts like i find it oh this is a love story right um in a way and i and i think it's the same thing no matter what you're super super into it's a it's it's about they won't give us that same yeah they won't give us that same respect if we're like into debbie gibson or something right no yeah they'll be like that's lame grow up and, and I do think that the negative part comes in with standum, which is such a great word. I'm so glad that that was invented, even if it had to be invented by Eminem. Right. Because it really describes, like, when you're just completely blind, crazy fan. And, of course, fans always want to say, I'm a huge fan, but I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not like that. Right. But then you are. Like, you usually are. But I'm just saying it, it can be negative when you find yourself fighting with total strangers. Um you have to allow for negative opinions. Yeah. I just, I often get into, you know, wars of words with people who I think it's not even really about Madonna. It's, I think she's a real stand-in on a lot of issues, and you know, 
she's someone that we project a lot of things on. And so you, so for me, what's offensive is not when someone says, you know, I'm really not into Madonna anymore. That's not what offends me. What bothers me is when I see someone on the internet saying, you know, look at this ugly hag, you know, you should retire. There's so many things packed into that that are wrong. Right. You know, Ageism, sexism, it's not about her, misogyny. It's yes, and then you and then you look at the person saying it, and they're if if you want if you want to admit that we live in a world of ugly old hags, if you even want to admit that that's okay to think they're an ugly old hag, right? So I'm like, wow, this is ugly old hag on ugly old hag violence. Like, why are you doing this? This is so weird. And so I, I call them out because I just find it so strange that people vent like this and they put this negativity out there. They think they're hurting a person, but they're hurting all the people reading it because there's a lot of people who are like, am I good enough? Am I ugly? Wait, I'm old. Right. How old am I in this picture? Would I look good now? Yeah. Wait, is this being filmed? Like, like all these things enter your mind when you read these trolls, even though we've, as we've learned, so many trolls are really just people who barely even believe the stuff that they're spewing, that they just get like a, a little bit of an endorphin rush by shaming someone right. and just getting it out of their system. You've, I'm sure, seen those things where they track down trolls and they're so apologetic. Right, they feel horrible. Like their persona. Yeah, they just they have should. this need to dunk, um, which, yeah, yeah it's, a lot of people it, it do. It just takes away a lot of fun. I, I would rather, I love, and it's hard because I used to love being critical of Madonna. And it's, I, I compare her to Hillary Clinton because... If you're a big fan of Hillary Clinton, you know there's plenty of things to criticize her about. There's plenty of things she's said and done that you think, oh, I don't like this. Why did she do that? Praising praising Nancy Reagan for AIDS, what? But you don't even want to go down that road because there's such a wall of criticism already surrounding her that you just want to defend her or you just want to ignore it because right. it's, it's, it's not, there's not, a, there's not a level playing field. You already start out with so much hate. So with Madonna, I feel like it's the same way. So if she comes out and does something annoying, I feel like it can be, it can kind of trigger me to feel like, you know, just lay off. Like, right. This is another thing that bothers you to the point you have to talk about it for three days. Like, right. just, just lay off a bit. I used to love diva stories of bad behavior and all of that stuff in all my divas. I couldn't get enough of it. And um, there's that really delightful play, Byron Seller, about Barbra Streisand and the guy that works in the basement. And, and, and one of my I, favorite I, things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's so good. And I saw it recently, and I still really enjoyed it, and it had really interesting ideas. <clears throat> but I'm, as I get older, or maybe I'm like, you know what? I don't care if she's difficult. Look what she's given us. And that's the way I feel about Madonna. I don't care that she's you know needy on instagram or whatever it is or weird or just you know just kind of ugh, she's you know she just can't calm down and be cool look what she's given us like and and i i find myself leaning more to that maybe it's a maybe it's a function of getting older i think the gen xers like we used to love we we can relate to the idea of like what a bitch isn't she amazing yes. like we we loved people like that like that was yes. that was one flavor right. of famous people you also love people like linda carter who are just adorable and right and, sweet. and dolly parton right yeah, dolly are, parton who's yeah. like professional and sweet and a virtuoso like there's a lot of great things about these people they all have they have their place we also love these these mean bitches like i saw lauren bacall leaving a play on broadway and i knew that she was extremely fan unfriendly and i ran up to her to get a picture and said no and that's what i wanted right I she gave you that getting a picture yeah but i think that we've gotten to a point now where it's sliding into younger people really hold every little thing 
against the person. And the worst thing you can do, I think it's right up there with racism. <laughs> the most unforgivable thing is, you know, I heard she's mean. Yeah. Like she's not nice. Not even mean, just not nice. It's such an offense to people. If someone is rich or famous or in the public eye, has any sort of attention, any sort of success, I feel like younger people are appalled, genuinely appalled, if this person isn't extremely acquiescent and always available and always saying the right thing and and just sweethearts and you know but it's but we want them to be on our side politically but we don't want them to be too you know in your face about it because it's really easy to kind of go over the line there too even on our side so i just feel like there's a lot of things that are are becoming unforgivable and and one of them is really something that's hard for Madonna because she's not, she's very, as I've said this before, Madonna is extremely user unfriendly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that term. Yeah. Don't give her hydrangeas. Her. She doesn't, if she doesn't like the hydrangeas, she's going to let you know. Um, she does not, she does not suffer fools right. and many people are fools, but peop, even people who know that don't like to see people not suffering fools. They would rather see the people suffering the fools and being gracious and, you know, but Madonna's always been like this. I, when I talked to Liz Rosenberg, she, I asked her, I was like, you know, Madonna is so difficult when it comes to things like running up to her on the street. Like, you're not going to get a picture with her. You're not going to get her autograph running up to her on the street. Other, a lot of other stars would, do, would also would say no, but you know she's going to say no. I said, was she always like that? And she said, yes. She said, you know, when Madonna was young and hungry and with a brand new artist, she would come in and say, I don't want to do this. If it was like glad handing radio people, I don't want to do it. And sometimes she wouldn't, sometimes she wouldn't. Um, you need to sign a stack of these. I'll do five of them. You know, she was very, she didn't like these things that were obvious and corporate and expected. Um, and I think that's part of what makes her great though. You have to let her, you have to let Madonna be Madonna. She has to be the person she is. And, and she is authentically, She's from Michigan, yes, but she is authentically a downtown, borderline punk, borderline hip-hop person who decided to express her views through popular music, and that's never really changed. So this brattiness, even in, those, in the era when she could almost have a tiara on, and did have a tiara during Evita, I remember her running around with a tiara, she, she's always had that kind of little snarky, bratty, vein and there are just eras when it blows up more and when it blows blows down and blows over so that's who she is she's a very i think she's a tough person she's demanding she's demanding of herself so she's demanding of other people and i think what's really kind of blowing people's minds now is that she had this big health issue that seems to have really taken a toll on her and it seems to have made her think like well i'm gonna have some some fun so she's out dancing all night She's changing her hair every day. She's got the bleached eyebrows. And for some people, that's just so deeply uncomfortable to them because even though they grew up with her as this punk radical person with a pop sheen, they expected her by now to be settled down. Right. Quiet. You know, she looks, she can do that so well. She can clean up so well. And, you know, you see those the, the, when she met Queen Elizabeth and, you know, she's had these eras where she was just so ultra glamorous at the Oscars, you know, she's yeah. Marilyn Monroe. But it's not really her. Like, that's just one guise of hers. And I think we have to accept that, you know, this is who she's always been. She really hasn't changed that much. Does she have good friends? Yes. Um, that's, I think that's kind of a common 
misconception that we all have is that, that she loves them and leaves them. Right, that she goes through life. people. Because she does have people that she has left. I, I'm imagining it's the same for a lot of other famous people. We just don't care. Right. Like, we wouldn't talk about that. Um, but, like, some of the people, if you think about it, the last person in the world you would have thought would have been a lifelong friend to her was Ingrid Kistaris. And she's still tight with her 30 years later. That That seemed like that was going to be hit yeah. and run, and that didn't. Yeah, that lasted. Debbie Mazar has been one of her very best friends for 40 years, still extremely loyal, always around her, uh, worked, was able to work with her and also be her friend and was never left by the wayside. And then I think she has a lot of friends that we don't really hear about as much because, you know, if you see Jessica Seinfeld, it's not, I mean, no offense to Jessica Seinfeld, but she's not someone who's putting out albums and doing all these fabulous things that are in our face. So you don't really think of that. You want to know, why is she no longer friends with Gwyneth Paltrow? It's like, well, you don't even like Gwyneth Paltrow, so why do you care? Right. Maybe she doesn't like her either. Like, what? Well, maybe she moved on because they have divergent lifestyles. You know, who knows if someone said something or if it was just a matter of moving on. I will say, I think, even though she has deep friendships, I think Madonna is singularly unnostalgic and very, very unsentimental right so she i think she has a real cap- really well demonstrated capability of turning on a dime and moving in a new direction and people especially i think people who she's creative with they have to go in knowing that you have to go in knowing that you're probably not going to be patrick leonard who's called back many many times he, he did a lot of work with her right one of the most one of the one of her longest collaborators even stephen bray was pulled back from you know, the very early days up into like, like the prayer era, you, you know, but when she's created with people, she's lovely with them and she, they fight and they have like a familial sort of, a, sort of a, a relationship. And then it ends. Like when you make a movie, it ends, you don't always stay friends. Um, and she can do that. I think really well. I, I do think she's capable of turning it off. That's why I kind of really liked during rebel heart. She started to crack a little bit and thaw and she started talking all of a sudden. And now really, she won't stop she's thinking about movies she started talking so much about you know basquiat prince um keith herring she's she's mentioned martin burgoyne her gay friend best 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 friend who died of aids and right was he the dance teacher period no that was um um also christopher flynn oh that's the dance teacher yeah yeah and, but her best friend in new york was martin burgoyne and he died of aids in his early 20s and you know he designed early you know vinyl records of hers and he actually designed her first album cover that wasn't used they ended up doing a whole new shoot in a whole new direction and she was very i've often wondered if they'd still be friends because liz described him as kind of the better madonna like not talent wise but just like he was kind of her but like a more polished version of her and a less defensive version you know like someone who was more comfortable with himself but like two peas in a pod. And then he dies of AIDS, you know, like out of the blue. And, and it, you know, she had to nurse him through that and pay for his, um, basically his demise, you know, like through his well-being through his demise. And I never knew I this story. I never knew yeah, about this person. She, she was very, very close with him. You should look him up. Martin when did he pass away? I believe 1986. So and like after he, the second or third album, right in there. Yeah. Right. Like, and, you know, she taught, she's talked about him and, I think you know, he was really instrumental. His death was instrumental, as well as Keith Haring's and many others, in making her be so outspoken about AIDS early on. Yeah. People just take that for granted now. It's, it's considered... I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've read on the internet, oh, she's just 
opportunistic with gay people and AIDS and all that. She never did anything. No, she was there at the beginning. She was there at the beginning at those. Yes. Some of the ones who were there early were like established stars who in, in a way they weren't has-beens, but they, they had already had their most intense fame. Like Elizabeth Taylor was a star to the day she died, but she wasn't worried about movie roles at that point. Right. She'd been a Senator's wife. She was rich. She had the diamonds. So it was wonderful what she did, but she didn't have as much to lose as Madonna, who was someone who was basically a teen idol. Yeah. And she was talking about sex and about AIDS. And, you know, she did an AIDS PSA in 1989. And she was always at those dance early on in L.A. dance Yeah. And she kept going with those. And, and she's, you know, she's talking about AIDS a lot at a time when it was uncomfortable for people to hear about it. I remember I went to a, a Go-Go's concert when they reformed. I don't remember the year, but it was early 90s very early nineties. And these got like, these people were talking, were making fun. Cause I was near my friend and they're saying, making jokes about us giving AIDS to each other. And I, I called them out and we were fighting. I was almost getting into a fight. It was crazy. And the go-go's came out and they, Belinda said something about AIDS. Like this is a, like this, she dedicated a song to like AIDS awareness or something like that. And we both turned to each other. And we're like, ha, because in my mind, and in her mind, she was acknowledging AIDS in a positive way. And in the mind of the homophobes, it was like, you know, AIDS exists. Right. And it's because of people like you. So we, were, we both felt gratified that the AIDS was mentioned at this concert. It was like, oh. And this was years after Madonna had been trying to talk about it. So I don't think we can take for granted, like, even to this day, if someone talks about gay issues or trans issues or AIDS or even monkeypox, I mean, like, anything that you might think, well, normal people, are, we're all on board with this. We're not on board with anything. We have to keep reiterating this stuff. And if famous people talk about it, it's always a plus. If a famous person comes out, the last thing I'm going to say is, what a surprise. You know, I'm going to say, good. I'm yeah. glad coming out. When, when Colton Haynes came out, it was like, good. Yes. I'm glad he came out. I didn't know he was in so much pain. Yeah. Good to know that because I'm, I'm usually very tough on people who are, everyone in the world knows are gay and they don't come out. I'm, I'm still the old school of like, come out. Yeah. No, it's a bit of an eye roll. Like I still, yeah. I and still, now, there's people that still it. get my goat a little around it when I think about them. Um, yeah. Cause there are rich and famous. I'm like, how much more rich and famous do yeah. you have to be? Yeah. You no, know, it's you're true. not going to lose anything out of it. So yeah. just do it. I liked learning though that, Hey, you know, I was, I was, I made comments about him and I was thinking, cause I was mad because I published as everyone did. I shared, those images of him kissing from, you know, that from X, Y. And I was like, look, here he was gay and now he's not gay. And then to hear his perspective of that later, it was quite enlightening. So I'm yeah. glad he talked about that. Cause you run the, the blog, uh, boy culture in addition to right. the other things that you do. Right. Um, and so of course I'm always talking about people who are gay or who were gay. Right. And then came back, came back in and then went back out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, an ongoing learning process. I'm still not fully on board with the whole come out in your own time thing, only because I think there are so many people who are really pretending not to, not to be ready. And they're actually just sort of, they don't want to lose like the extreme fame and um, adulation that they have. And I don't respect that as much as the ones who are genuinely having a struggle. Yeah. The problem is you can't know who's who until they come out. So yeah, I I am, I'm, I'm lighter on that than I used to be. Yeah. I appreciate that. What have your in-person interactions with Madonna been like? Have you had encounters? 
Yes. Because I had written the book in 1995, her publicist really liked it. Madonna signed the cover, sent the cover to me signed. Amazing. I sent one to her signed, and then she sent it back to me, which is kind of interesting because, like, the first entry is, like, abortion. So, you know, she definitely probably didn't. Did she have one? Has she had them? No. No, she did not have one abortion. She had multiple? Or do we know? Yeah, she talked about that. She yeah. talked about it. And that's yeah. the only reason I wrote it. I didn't, right. I, would, I wouldn't like interview someone and then write, yeah, Madonna yeah. had an abortion on this day. But um, yeah, she talked about it in an interview. Someone had, was doing like a fact check and they said that you've had several abortions. And she said, yes, this was 30 years ago. So that was a brave thing to say at that yes. time. And now who, who knew who would be brave to say in 2022? So, uh, but anyway, so I, I, I got that autograph. That was a nice little connection. I, I interviewed her on a press line real quick. And that was nice because I was face-to-face and she's reacting. And then the next step was I got invited to do a gay roundtable with Madonna for W.E., the film she directed. Yeah. So I had tickets to go to Paris for the first time with my then partner. And I told him, I said, oh, my God, I got invited to this. It's the day we're leaving. He was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Do you think you'll get another opportunity like that? And I was like, we're not going. You know that. Like, we're going to put off our trip. He was living. He couldn't believe it. I'm like, you lived with me for 15 years. You must know I'm going to cancel it. Right. And it was great because all we had to do was move it by a day. Yeah, it's, it's not the end of the so world. I, so I walked into the room, and there was this round table. And there was a big chair. I was like, well, that's going to be hers. I sat next to it, knee to knee with her the entire time. And she walked in, and she shook everybody's hand, eye contact, asked their name, very professional, Gave great interviews, you know, to everybody. We all got our moment with her to ask her a question. She was very game. I, you know, was able to interact with her about her jewelry, children's names. And she looked so good. I was like, she will never look this good again. Can I just get a picture with her? But they wouldn't allow any pictures. So we couldn't even ask. So shortly after that, she was doing a, a press event at uh, Macy's for Truth or Dare Cologne. And I just said, you know what? I'm friendly with her publicist by now. So I called Liz and I was like, you know, I've never gotten my picture with her. Is there any chance? She said, yeah, we'll put you in between the, the photographers and the, like, the online press. And we'll do a quick picture. No problem. That's amazing. Madonna comes. I know. I was like, thank you. So Madonna comes <clears throat> and she's told what's going to happen. She looks at me. She's like, not in that light. And I thought it was over. And she said, you come to me. So I clambered over the, the stanchion, and I get next to her. We're close. And she turns to me and says, so what makes you so lucky? So <laughs> that's what exactly what you want to say. That's exactly that's what exactly you want her to say. Her. You yeah. want her. You don't want her to be like, oh, great to meet you. you no, like, you, you want her to and be I a said, little diminishing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> See this come full circle. Yes. Um, and I said, well, all I can tell you is I've been a huge fan of yours from the beginning. And you should ask Liz later. Yeah. They also didn't want to say, I wrote a book about you and never say, get away from me. Yeah, because you never know what they think. I know. So she gave me the best, best picture I will ever have. So now whenever I see her, of course, I would love a picture with her, but I don't care. I have the best picture that could ever have happened. Finito. Uh, After that, I also, on that Madame X tour, I was one of the idiots that bought a Polaroid. So I bid a crazy amount of money and I got to interact with her. And she, she traps me because she asked me what I do for a living. And I said, I worked at extra. Right. She's like, Oh, you mean you traffic in lies? You make up lies. And yeah. I was like, have you seen extra? We're really nice. Yeah. Uh, 
but I, I did get to interact with her. I got the Polaroid. It was, it was, again, it was a different kind of interaction, but it was amazing. So yeah. that's, that's the, that's all of my interactions. I've never interviewed her one-on-one. That would be a nice goal. Um, and I've never been like at a party with her or anything like that. Yeah. Just events, just press events. Right. I have a writing career because she rejected me. Really? I, yeah. I, I used to be a dancer. Um, Let and me take I, this down. Let me take this down. Right. And I, um, I was working on cruise ships and there was a break in 1990 and she was auditioning for the Blonde Ambition Tour and I was such a fan. So um, me and my friend go to this audition. It's like um, open call, right? And all, all that for you heard was... Ambition? Yeah. And uh, yeah, she God, was casting amazing. a wide net. She was casting a wide net and you were told to dress street. So I don't know what that means. Like I, so I had like holy jeans or whatever. And you go in and they teach you a combination. Like it was like running man, like run four running man, four Roger rabbits, four small and sexy Roger rabbits, which is variation. And it wasn't super hard. Um, and then you go in and she's there. She's wearing a beret and we do the combination. And then she types out and she's like, you know, you, no, 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 no. And I, I was, I was on my way. I, I was eliminated, but she was there. And I, the emotional journey around that uh, experience, the anticipation of it and what could happen and we're going to be best friends and she's going to call me. Like it was all so funny to me and rich that I wrote an article about it. My, my audition, Confessions of a Boy to a Wannabe. That's what it was called. And I, I this. and I sent it to every outlet I could think of. I wrote, wrote query letters. Like I really, I'd never really written anything like that before or, or even thought of myself as a writer. And I sent it to Mar- Movie Line Magazine. And Edward Margulies, the editor there, reached out to me and said, I really like your letter. And if your article is as funny as this letter, then maybe we can do something with it. And so I sent in the whole article and they, they, they published it and they started using me. And I had another career. And they, I, I started getting little opportunities um, because of that. And I didn't think of myself as a writer yet at all. Like, but... but um, that gave me my my in, and I just kept building from there with that magazine and then other magazines. And then when Bedtime Stories came out, I got to be one of one of the junket people like you did. For I was writing for a magazine called Singapore Clio, uh, like big in Singapore, right? And it's the thing where you're in a circle and you get like one or two questions. It came around to me, and I told her the story that 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 I, I'm I'm a writer because you rejected me as a dancer. And she goes, oh, you took a negative and you turned it into a positive. She was already a little, she already had that kind of clipped voice. But I remember when she said that, and it was kind of nice, affirming. Like, see, you took something bad and turned it made it into something good. And I asked her, I got one other question. I thought, I was trying to think of what it was. Oh, I asked her if she'd ever had sex to her own music, which I look back and I think, that's a little gross. But also, it's a little audacious. And she was playful. And she goes, no, it would be too distracting. I would be thinking of every mistake I made in it and whatever. But I, it was a, it was a good Full circle moment. Every mistake she made during sex? No, every song. mistake she made in the <laughs> song. Like, oh, I should have done right, that. Right. Or I should have, like, she would right. be picking herself apart, right? Um, but I had my full circle moment. And my other memory was that Liz Rosenberg was there. And I was like, oh, she's kind of cool. Like, calm and collected. And, like, nor- like a n- you would expect Madonna's publicist to be sort of like a Deborah Wells Prada kind of energy. And that was not the energy at yeah, all. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And I was like, "Oh, that's great." Like, I'm, I'm down. I'm down with Liz. Like, like, like Liz seemed like you could. She was cool, and you could talk to her. And 
and uh, and and yeah, I probably exactly cool. what Madonna needed. Yes, they were a wonderful pair as long as they lasted. I mean, it was until I think she was with her for thirty years or something like that. Yeah, or more. I mean, almost must have been thirty-five years. But Liz was always kind of like she's a cool. I came to realize that Liz is like a very cool and kind of down-to-earth person. Yes, and and a, and a nice person and a genuinely nice person. But when in doing her job, she had trained herself to just be very um, direct. So if people want something, she was able to say no. Right. Because you can't, especially with someone like Madonna, who has um, not only the media, but also fans and sometimes a mixture of both coming at her. She can't lead people on. So so Liz always had to just be very like, no, that's not going to happen. Right. And that's good. It's not mean. It's, it's just like you need to hear it. Yeah. You, know, you can't be let on. Those people will call you every day. Yeah. But she struck me as someone you would love to be sat next to at a dinner party. Like, she would just be cool and nice and fun. Um, I have a fun quiz that you may or may not be into, but let's see if we want to do it. As I mentioned earlier, I got the 70s jukebox, so I got all these Madonna 45s, and I thought I would throw out the title and see if you know the flip side. What do you think of that idea? This is what I will do. Let me just say this as a pre-defense. Sure. At one point, I knew all of these. So right. give me that. Well, we'll accept that as reality. Yeah. Um, I don't collect vinyl the way I collect other things. Right. So I'm probably shady on some of this, but I'm going to try. Well, here's the thing. I thought of other things, and I'm like, he's going to know everything. So let's. this is kind of a this fun thing that you might. This yes. is genuinely hard. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Madonna, who's that girl? Cute cover, right? Um, the little hat. What do we think the... Um, it's, it's a song I actually like. What do you think the B-side is of the Madonna Who's That Girl 45? And if you need a hint, I can give you one. I think it's, I think it's Look of Love. No. It's from, it's from the previous album. Is it's, it a throwback? It's, it's a, a throwback. throwback. It's a throwback to True Blue. Is it, is it Think of Me? Nope. It it's is. one of those. It's White Heat. I didn't, I can't get up, stand tall. Another song that I like. I should have known that one. I know. Don't beat yourself up. These are random 45s that I got on eBay. Is it too late to withdraw the film? I'm getting my book. I'm going to withdraw my book. I'm a fraud. I'm a a fraud. Oh, well, this one is interesting. What do you think the flip side of the Live to Tell 45 is? I wanted you to ask me Cherish because I know that one. Oh, Um, I have Cherish. We're getting there. Um, Cherish, but I'm going to say preemptively, Cherish, I think, is supernatural. Cherish, do we think it's supernatural? Let's see. Okay. Supernatural. I don't even know how supernatural goes. Is that on an album? It's a bizarre. No, it's, it was only a B-side. It was a bizarre. It sounds like a Blondie song to me. It's a weird song about having sex with a ghost. Nice. You know what? Don't knock it till you've tried it. Um, do you know what the flip side of Crazy for You is? And it's not Madonna. It's another song from the Vision Quest soundtrack. I but thought it, it was Sammy Hagar. It's Berlin, No More Words. Oh my God, I'm flopping. That's okay. This no, is and this, is, this is what they say. This is my flop era. And no, it's all good. This is, how, why would you know this? But I think, I think it's Why would I know to, what I do know? I, mean, I know, because these are random. Oh, this is interesting. Open Your Heart also has White Heat as the B-side. They kept making that a B-side. She did that with a couple of songs. Like, I remember that she did that with, um, I think Think of Me was on a couple. Of, there's a couple of songs that were doubled up. Yeah. You always want a new song. You always want like You always want that you know, weird like, thing that she never released about fucking a ghost or whatever. Um uh dress you up, any guesses? I think this was Shooby Doo. That's yeah, Shooby Doo. Well done. Yeah. Uh and this song that you fell in love with her too, Madonna, like a virgin. 
Ah, interesting. I'm a little, I was surprised at this oh, one. Oh, what is the B-side? Uh, okay, let me, let me think. This right. has to make sense. It's okay. It's probably... I, I, I thought of this idea as a challenge not to... I don't want to send you into an existential, uh, you know... No, I don't. I, but I want to get this one because I know that I, I really owned this. Yeah. And I feel like it was on the Like a Virgin album. I think it's one word. Stay. Yes. Thank you. Well That's done. All I need. That's, That's all I need. need is the one word. Yeah. I love that song, by the way. That should have been a fucking single. I Thank love you. Oh, okay. What do we think? Stay and like over and over. Like there's so I many. No, there's so many good ones. It couldn't be singles because she had too many hits. That's true. Uh, what do we think is on the B side of Like a Prayer? Um, that would have to be. Um, it's from that album. Oh, I remember because it's um, it was Active Contrition. Yes, it's that weird thing with the backwards thing and whatever. Oh, here's one of the songs right. that you love most. Which, was, which I think is such a really weird... If you think about Active Contrition as a B-side, what a bizarre way to try to lure people to buy the whole album. Right, I know. I guess it's got like that Prince thing going on, but like her fans were like, no, I don't want this. No, I'm not into it. What do we think of uh, B-side of Cosmic Commotion? One of your favorites. Jimmy, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy, 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 I know. You got that. I didn't think you would get that because Cosmic Commotion was not an album cut. It was uh, Who's That Girl? Okay. It was better than an album cut. What do we think of the B-side of Papa Don't Preach? By the way, while you, while you think of this, I'm going to tell the listeners that if you're not that into Madonna, you may want to skip this episode. We're an hour in. <laughs> it's too late. Let me think. Papa Don't Preach, it came out after. So it was Live to Tell. It was kind of the pre-release. Yeah. It's a Stephen Bray song. I think it's Ain't No Big Deal, but I could be wrong because I know that was used more than once. It's, it Ain't No Big Deal? It's Pretender. Oh. Fish that got away. Okay. Um, what's on the B side of Express Yourself? Why am I not better? No, you, you guessed this song earlier. That's why, no, don't tell me because that's going to give me a good hint. Yeah. Describe how you don't know it. Like I don't know. I feel like, like it's one... not on an album. <clears throat> tell me like the one word thing or give me some kind of a hint. Um, it was also an ABC song by the band ABC. Oh, it's a look of love. It's the a look, look of, of love. love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know it's that not song. the same song as ours, but right. Look, same first title. of all, you need to look up the look of love because it was on the who's that girl's soundtrack, which is so weird that it was recycled. Oh, or, I got you. Yeah, sometimes they do like that. Single. Yeah. Um, what's on the What's on the flip side of Hanky Panky? Oh, um, that's a good question. It's another Dick Tracy <laughs> Hanky song. Hanky Panky is one of her worst songs. Uh, it's one of her worst songs. I don't know. Nothing like a good spanky. I thought it was cute. Well, I'm not knocking the sentiment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> points for content. Right. It was one of the Sondheim songs. Okay, well, that narrows it down. But it wasn't. It wasn't sooner or later. It wasn't the the sing, that one. No, it wasn't sooner or later. No, it wasn't. Um, God, I don't. It couldn't have been more, could it? It's more. It's more. That's such a better song. That that's a right. shame. Oh yeah, because more was. That's a classic, classic song. Now here's oh here's what it is. This is a forty five that's called back to back hits, and it's holiday and borderline back back and front. So this is not the oh, yeah, official that thing. Count. That doesn't count. That you did count. quite well. I think that's a respectable showing, Matthew, and you should feel good about it. But not for someone who's like Mr. Madonna. I think it's a little embarrassing. But who digs out forty fives if you don't have a jukebox? Like you know, it's not something people do all the time. 
Uh, I think that it's you know fine. what you just you know what you've done with this interview. <laughs> you've diminished me. Yeah, I've diminished you. But you know what, you, what? When you said that, what was made me laugh is if Madonna were to watch us and see you do that, she would say something snarky. She would say something bratty. I am terrified. <laughs> Any day now, she's going to share like the cover of my book and say, you know, another misogynist man trying to tell my story. You know, I just people always say, oh, she must know you by now, and I'm like, I don't think so, and. Believe me, she's not into like people who are who know all the trivia. She wants people to kind of worship her in a way, but then when she's in front of them, she finds it eye rolling. You know what I mean? It's a weird mix. Yeah, she's not comfortable with fandom like a lot of people are, and in a way, it's almost more narcissistic to be comfortable with people being your fans. But she's always had that that kind of, you know, like the- I remember her giving quotes like, I, "I want every little girl in America to want to dress like me." She said that once. Right. But then when they did, she was like, ugh. These, I want to cut my hair. You know, cut my hair and never dress that way again. Something that touches me about her is, and my friend Nadia Ginsburg. Um, Boy, I love. Right. We made that movie together if we took a holiday. And one of the things that, that Nadia is so good at is capturing her insecurity, her need to seem smart, her need to, like, she's such a good, she has such a good a psychological take on that. And I find that kind of touching in a way. Um to know that when Madonna's being a little snarky, it's probably because there's something else going on too. Oh, she's a, she's very defensive. Yeah. And, but what I love about Nadia more than anything is just the voice because she doesn't, it's not a British accent. I hate when people say Madonna had a British accent. It's not British, but it's like you said, there's a clipped quality to it that I've always interpreted as being, again, a little bit of a defense. Yeah. Especially when she has to talk about smart stuff. Yeah, she gets whenever she's speaking about things that are important, she does get this quality. But but the other thing that Nadia captures about Madonna that is that no one else captures vocally is there's a quavery, there's a weird kind of a quavery quality to her voice that Nadia does it over the top, but it sounds so right whenever I hear it. Yeah. Some other fans say, "Oh, it doesn't sound anything like her." I'm like, "No, this is like really right." Like she, she's able to capture, and, and the fact that she puts in Madonna's little defensive, yeah. You know, like, she'll, Madonna will, will say something so smart and so right, and she'll, in her mind, quickly go over it and think, I did good, and she'll say, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so funny. So you and other fans have broke down Nadia's impression and dissected oh, God, it? we all talk about her. I mean, she's the best. I mean, she's so she's the real, you know, she's a real actress and a real comic, and um, I love all of the Madonna. They used to be called Madonna impersonators. Now they're called tribute artists. Right. Uh, there's so many of them that are great. But one thing that distinguishes Nadia is that she's, you know, she's, she's a writer. You know, she's yeah. a writer. She's a creative force. She's not a mimic. She's not just a mimic. Yeah, it's amazing. She's, she's the reason we made that movie, and uh, I can't get enough of her um, when she does Madonna. So before I let you go, tell people how they can buy the book. Encyclopedia Madonna is available uh, at Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's going to be basically in hundreds of different outlets that you would normally buy any kind of book. So you can buy a paperback version that way. If you are interested in a hardback, you got to come to me. I'm all over social media. I'm very easy to find. And if you find me, I will tell you how to PayPal me directly. I will order it directly from a printer straight into your hot little hands. It's the first time I've ever made it available as a hardcover. But as we were saying, when you're an old school Madonna fan, you really, you want something that's going to last. I love it. Uh, I have two questions left. The first one Only is... Only two? I know, no, I know. We could keep want, going and going want. and going. Why Madonna? Well, I... For you. I don't know. I think... 
I think what I love about her, well, first of all, first and foremost, there would be no conversation if she didn't have an absolutely pristine and challenging and exciting and amazing musical output. The mu- it's, a, it's about the music. People try to diminish her by saying that, you know, it's all controversy, it's all publicity. You can't last this long with tricks and bells and whistles. You can't argue with Vogue. You can't argue with it. Exactly. You could try, but it'll shut you down. You'll be talking to the hand. Right, you can't. She is a very... she, She progressed over the years from an earnest, creative, young person who had her, you know, ear to the street to a brilliant musician who's able to, you know, work with the best of them. And all of her producers say this, that she extremely hands-on and so that's that's the first and foremost but what puts her over the top for me was i always loved uh i loved two things about her one the persona i love i always loved that she was um she used old school movie stars and musicians aping them taking them taking what she was getting from them, loving about them and then and reprocessing it to us as a way to communicate with us as fans. Like if, if you saw her dressing like Marilyn Monroe, it was a real way of communicating with other people who also love Marilyn Monroe. Like it, there was like a, a star discourse that would go on. So I love that. And then of course her politics I love to the most for the most extent. I don't believe in some of the cabalistic stuff about, you know, manifesting things by hoping for them. Like I don't believe that kind of stuff. But I love that she's always been so outspoken about gay rights. I love that she's, you know, one of the few people at that level who are musicians who aren't completely off the deep end with, you know, like Kanye and that sort of stuff. Um, but her also just, I think, along with her pristine music, she also has the most um, aggressive and creative visual arts um, catalog. Like she's tried so many different things, not just looks. I mean, looks are just so superficial she's really gone deep with stuff and and she she's like a true pop artist you know she's a brick allure she's someone who takes things from all different sources doesn't steal them like pop art is all about compiling things and making a little brick wall of of different stuff she creates things in a very original way her combinations are very original so i love that and i love that you can never know what she's going to give you next you don't know what she's going to look like the next day you don't know what her tour is going to look like or what she's going to look like on a magazine cover i think so it's really a combination of those things it's it's a lot and that's why she's up to that level with me and i become sort of a student of hers and that's why when people say are you really that interested in her anymore could she ever do anything to disappoint you and i say you know there's a lot of stuff she does i really don't like and i call her out about and of course i'm not as drawn in as i was when i was a kid because i have a full life um but i also think I think she's an important subject because, like I mentioned before, she is a stand-in for a lot of other topics. So I'm a student of that as well. So I think that's why. That's why I went from Cindy, who's amazing, loves Cindy Lauper. Um, I went from someone like Cindy to someone like Madonna. And, and I've always stayed because no one better ever came along. And by the time you get to a certain age, I can be open to new music. I don't even listen to music anymore, but I can be open to a new song. I can be open to a new singer. I can appreciate somebody new in the marketplace or in the creative marketplace. But I don't think you can ever really embrace someone the same way you can embrace a person who was there when you were in your formative years. Yeah, so I think that's true. I'm brand loyal. You're brand loyal. I am brand loyal in so many ways. I'm very a creature of habit. So I will be sticking with Madonna until she announces she's a Republican. Yeah, I love it. Um, then, I will, then I will 
drop it on a dime. I, this is a little side note, but I was a big fan of Olivia Newton-John. I am. And her death really hit me in a way. Very sad. Do you ever think, do you ever wonder how you'll react when Madonna's no longer with us? Hopefully it'll be a million years from now. <clears throat> I think she, uh, I don't know. First of all, it's a big assumption that, that, sh- that I'm going to survive her. Right. <laughs> Um, so I don't think about it too much. I joke about it all the time because I, I, and I also talk about it, you know, very analytically a lot because I do think that when she dies, people are going to reassess her instantly and suddenly they'll have always been her biggest fan. Yes. And we'll really, we'll really think about it. We'll think about her a lot more seriously than we have been later. Right. And we'll um, get over the dumb stuff. We'll get over the small stuff, the dumb stuff that we yeah. kind of held against her. Like we have, I mean, we got over Joan Robert beating her child. Come on guys. Um, Michael Jackson, we won't even go into. There's so many things that are forgiven in death, um, real and fake. Um, so I, I think I thought about it to the extent that because I'm surrounded by so many Madonna things, I mean, my apartment isn't like wall-to-wall Madonna at all, but it could be because I own enough stuff. I really still collect everything. everything. Do you have it on storage? Like, how do you manage it all? I store it all. It's, some of it's here. Some of it's in storage. I can't stop myself from getting, I especially like collecting old things that I missed. Probably it's it's like anything nostalgia in a way you're collecting your youth. Yeah. Like oh if I I I actually bought a lot of um, invitations to like really amazing Madonna events like you know the Vita premiere and that sort of thing and I I've thought about how funny that is to buy an invitation to an event you weren't invited to like there's something very mental about right. that exactly um, but I do love the I love promotional stuff so I have all this stuff so one thing I I have promised myself is. If she were to unexpectedly die, because who expected George Michael to die? If she were to unexpectedly die, I would probably get rid of most of my stuff. Because if my stuff belongs in a museum somewhere. It belongs in some sort of an archive, protected, where, she, where it can be studied. Because it's some newspaper clippings. It's, it's really like everything. Um, and, I wouldn't, and I'm never going to be the person who's living in a mausoleum. So I would keep 20 really cool things that mean a lot to me. And all the stuff that I've been collecting all these years just to have an archive, I would want to place somewhere. And, you know, we're at the point, not even now, where there are museums looking for stuff. Like, who would have thought 20 years ago that there would be all these museums competing to have queer stuff? Yeah. They all want queer stuff. They go to these, like, swan auctions, like auctions off all these old gay things, and they're out there. They want it. You know, it's like porn. I went to the New York Public Library to look at, I'm doing an oral history of the, uh, the magazine Mandate. Yeah, and all those gay magazines, and I, I went to the New York Public Library, and it's filled with porn. And I'm seeing the, I'm taking pictures of like penis pictures, and you know, wow, so it, you know, it, it's so that there's there's definitely a push for celebrity memorabilia as well. So I think I'll get rid of a lot of my stuff. Why mandate? With tears. I used to work there. Oh, really? So I knew the owner, and I knew a lot of the photographers and and people who worked there. And I think it's a really interesting time period where they were they were inventing something new yeah I, I like i was partial to honcho um but i like a mandate i'll pick up a mandate it's all Maybe. the same company it might have been the same thing yeah, yeah all right mandate torso honcho inches play guy so i've been looking for photographers and people who work there and, and and you know it's again it's like i was saying with madonna it's not just about that thing it's about all this, the accompanying things around it and what it says about gay culture and about sexuality and how they handled aids and how it went away, because I used to work for a gay magazine, a gay porn magazine, and what went away? Who would have known? I never would have dreamed all the years I was there that magazines would go away, pornography would go away, 
there'd be such a thing as post-gay right. conversation. You know, so many things were changed by the internet. And these stories are amazing. And people talk about what they went through and distribution of magazines in those eras. And I think it was brave what was going on because, you know, you were pigeonholed as gay in the 70s. That's, you're out there living. You're out there, you know, you're putting your neck on the line. And, and even today, people have trouble coming to terms with being gay. So I, I look back at the people who came before me and I find it really interesting that they're able to, to do it, to pull it off successfully. It's still around. Yeah, pretty mar- remarkable. Uh, here's my final question. What is working on this book over the years and your fandom meant to you in your life? It's, it's been an incredible outlet. Um, the most important thing is that when I was in Chicago, I was in school, and I found this book on Marilyn Monroe that was an encyclopedia. And I thought, oh, Madonna would be good for that too. That way I wouldn't have to do like a narrative. And so I wrote this, I wrote, you know, the notes and I got the proposal ready. And so in a very real way, like you, Madonna gave me a writing career. It was my first book. Then I did a novel, Boy Culture. Yeah. Another novel, Blind Items. Boy Culture became a movie. Now it's a series. That's yeah. Probably, I'm a probably. fan. I like it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. But that all came really from her because it gave me the confidence. I was like, you know, I know a lot about this topic and I'm, I can write it in a funny way that I think people would like. And I'm persistent and I'm going to sell it. And I sold it. And that really did plant a seed with me. And then 20 years later, it meant a lot just to be able to validate all the time I was spending because I want you want to show off your stuff. In, Instagram wasn't a big deal then, so now everybody shows their collections on Instagram. But I wanted to be able to show what I had and try to express my ideas about why this stuff matters. Why does it matter that she did this, or why does it matter who her waxed her legs, you know, in 1992, or why does it matter that you know she was in a war of words with this person or that? So it's meant a lot as far as just you know, giving me a writing career and allowing me to express myself and to remain in some ways in touch with who I was when I was younger. So I think too many of us are in a hurry to get away from that and to grow up and not to stay in touch with who that was. And you can be both. You can have a successful life. You can have relationships, um, um, careers, and, and still be doing silly things and doing things that are considered to be silly. Maybe TikTok is teaching us that too, because you see all these middle-aged people dancing and acting a fool and making money, you know, so. Yeah. And I think there's something about Madonna that told gay people they could be brave. They could, yeah, they could be themselves. Yeah. There's something about that that was like, okay, I'm going to channel that and try to come at my life in that way. Oh, here's the thing. This is the other question I asked Madonna. I said, if you could be anonymous for one day, what would you do? And she said, I would go to a club and go dancing. And I always thought that was beautiful. As, in a, as a dancer and someone that loves dancing, I always felt like her love affair with the dance floor was genuine, deep. It wasn't, I'm putting this on, but I, she wants to be out there. What would have happened if you went on the Blonde Ambition Tour? Oh, my God. I would have been one of those mermaid guys and flopped around in the tail. Like, that's when it looked the cutest. Have you met Kevin Stay? Have I did. I interviewed him for when they had Strike a Pose. Yeah. I told him that I wanted to be, because that was sort of his showcase moment. Um, Matthew, it's been so fun to talk to you and share our mutual um, uh, fandom and um, hear about how you put this book together. So congrats. I hope uh, people pick it up and um, that you keep on uh, doing what you're doing. I will keep it together. (laughs) You'll keep it together in the family. Thank you for bringing it home. All right. Bye. Bye.
Thanks again to Matthew Rettenman. Pick up his book, The Encyclopedia Madonica, and use your legs when you pick it up because it's very heavy, it's very long, and it's very thorough, and it's very delightful. So this happened. I saw the musical Jagged Little Pill the other night at the Pantages Theater in Los Angeles. Uh, it's the one inspired by the Alanis Morissette album of the same name, and there are some other Alanis songs in there as well, not just from that album. Uh, the story is about a family. It's not about Alanis's life. And the book is by Diablo Cody, who uh, wrote the screenplay for Juno and won an Oscar for it. And I really enjoyed it. I, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm a fan of Alanis's. I, I remember loving that album when it came out. And um, I just thought the show had a lot of good ideas. Uh, it had really great performances. The, the lead character is the mother of this family. And it's played by Heidi. Is it her last name? Blankenstop? I, Blankensomething. I should have looked that up before I started. But I don't care enough about my craft. But anyway, she was in Title of Show. I saw her in that um, a number of years ago. And she is sensational. But not sensational enough for me to remember how to say her name. But anyway, I was into it. There were a lot of good ideas. I liked the choreography. Um, it was cool. So if it comes to your town and you think maybe I'll check it out, I highly recommend it. All right, that's enough for this week. Before I let you go, I want to give a shout-out to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes and also to J.B. Bursey. Thanks for the additional technical support. My theme music is composed by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. You've been listening to Dennis Anyone. We'll see you next time. Bye! Bye!